This is the Real Estate Rookie Show number seven. I have a property right now under contract for 185. So I feel like the market's shifting a little, but it's because I know that area. My realtor sent me the listing and I didn't even have to fully look at the property. I said, I know what street that is. I know what houses are built on that street. I know it works for my portfolio. She said, the price is 199. I said, offer 185 and they took it, right? So deal analysis right now is very important because if you are bankable, if you have cash reserves, if you're securing long-term debt, you are able to continue to purchase properties. I am your co-host, Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia. And unfortunately, I have nothing witty to say today. <laughs> oh, I'm like waiting in anticipation for you to say something. I'm like, okay, what is she going to call me? If you guys listen to the last episode, episode six, she's like, oh, look, a gap model Felipe today or something. And I got tons of funny comments about that. Yeah, I even offered for Felipe to do the intro today. I said, this is a one-time deal because I don't have anything witty to say when I introduce you. And he turned me down, so you will never, ever get to introduce the show again. <laughs> oh, gosh. See, that's what happens when you're not prepared, just like in real estate. If you got to take it when you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we're doing the show a little bit differently. Felipe and I just talk about six things rookies should be doing right now. Did you write down six yeah. things? Are you prepared? <laughs> I wrote down four things I thought. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course I wrote down the six things. I have them in front of me. No, I was really excited to do this, this show because I get a lot of questions like on my Instagram and stuff of like, hey, what are you doing right now You know, during this time, right? It seems like for the past couple years, everyone's been talking, okay, a downturn is coming. Let me prepare for it. You know, what is it going to look like? Is it a housing? Is it, are we going to be in war? You know, no one knows. And I feel like now that we're in a situation, unfortunately, like coronavirus, you know, this is the time that we're going to talk about these six things that we need to be doing as investors, especially as rookie investors, to come out of this a little bit stronger, a little bit better. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And so our whole point of the show today is to really focus on what each rookie can be doing and should be doing to kind of set themselves up for success, you know, during this pandemic and afterwards and for any other future emergencies that come up or different things that you don't think could happen. Like who would have thought, you know, we'd be worried about collecting rent. (laughs) Yeah. You think that cash flow producing properties are the safest way. And then you go towards like Airbnb and some of these things. And we're seeing some people get really hurt during this time because like we can't travel and, you know, things like that. So let's talk about these six topics that even we, you know, me and you decided that, hey, these are the things that we're definitely going to be doing during this time to make sure that we can come out better on the other side of, of, you know, this pandemic. And hopefully everyone's safe and everyone's healthy, practicing social distancing and everyone's family is safe for that. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I'll kick it off here. The first one that me and Ashley decided were probably one of the strongest things that we need to do during this time is have cash reserves. I think that's really important. And Ashley, I'll, I'll let you go first. Go ahead. Well, why do you feel like cash reserves are so important during this time? Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that I can sleep at night. <laughs> and even yeah. before the pandemic, having cash reserves was really important to me, especially after I found Dave Ramsey and started to become debt free and get my finances in order. Having those right. cash reserves, I sleep so much better at night knowing that something happens. I have that emergency fund that's stashed to, you know, kind of cover. Most people have three to six months cash reserves. Really, you could have whatever makes you sleep at night. That's what I always say when someone asks me, if you feel comfortable having one month, then that's fine. That That's what works for you. For me, it is six months cash reserves to cover mortgage, insurance, property taxes on each property. Absolutely. I agree. Cash reserves are very important. And I know when, when we first met, actually, we talked about our cash reserves and you thought, oh, Felipe, you have a lot of cash reserves. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that helps me sleep at night and right. I have a family, right? So I think everyone's situation is just a little different. If you have kids, if you have, you know, just you and your spouse, or if you're by, your, by yourself, just single and doing your thing, then everyone's cash reserve is going to look a little different just based on what they need. And I think ultimately the best definition for that is going to be do you have a peace of mind with the res with the cash reserves that you have? Are you sleeping at night? You know, the 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 concept of saying, oh, it lets me sleep at night is really saying I have a peace of mind. And if you have the right cash reserves to weather a certain storm, then you can sleep peaceful at night. Let's say your tenants say, hey, I, I can't pay rent this month. You know, and the last thing any of us investors wants to do is just kick people to the curve. We'd rather have the heads in the beds. 
So if you have a little cash reserves, you have a little bit more flexibility than automatically jumping the gun and having to kick someone out, especially during a time like this, where we need to be more coming together as a community and even as a country, rather than dividing ourselves with, oh, well, you can't pay rent. It's landlord against tenant. No, it's we're all in this together. And I think cash reserves gives us as landlords that peace of mind to make decisions properly and things like that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I also think that as an investor, if there was a family that was going through a really true hardship, you know, because of this pandemic or something else, like it would feel great for me to say, you know what, let's work out a deal because I have these reserves. I can, you know, I'm, I'm financially stable and I've gone through hard times too. And that would feel really great. Fortunately, most of my tenants have paid as of right now and no one has reached out saying they're not going to. So we'll see how it pans out. But I think having those cash reserves just puts you in a position where you're not only helping your family, but you might have the opportunity to help someone else. And I'm I'm not, you know, all about like letting people live for free and, you know, letting them. We're still a business, <laughs> Ashley. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. Exactly. Whoa. But, you know, sometimes there are uh, special circumstances. Sure. And one of the things before I'll let you introduce uh, number two, but before we get off of cash reserves, one of, and I'll ask you the same question. One of the things that I'm doing right now with cash reserves is I've actually told tenants, hey, if let's pay rent. But if you're missing like food or water or uh, essentials, just just call me. Let's talk about that. Right. Yeah. If, if you need groceries, I can have those shipped to you or we can figure out a way to feed your family. We're not we're not going to like kick you out to dry. But let's the the rent is a little non-negotiable, but the rest of it can. I can help you with if you need food, if you need, you know, if you need to pay the water or the light bill, I can help you out there. But let's try to avoid the let's not pay rent. Right. And that way that also gives the tenant a sense of 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 community with you and them, a, a partnership, an agreement. You know, they feel good that that the landlord wants to help them out, you know. So I would rather them say, hey, Felipe, you know, I don't have money for the grocery. I got you. That's what my cash reserves are for. And like you said, that makes me feel good that I'm providing for my tenants, right? We're in this together. Do you have an example of something like that, Ashley? I haven't done that to anyone. Yeah. have had that opportunity, I guess, which is a good thing that everyone's right. been in, yeah. you know, good circumstance. But go. I do want to add to that, talking about helping them, everything like that, especially in when you build as a small investor, small landlord, you know, where you are managing your own apartments or I'm not doing that anymore. I have a property management company to take care of that. But as that small investor, I've seen over the past couple of weeks, the people who have really built those relationships with their tenants and their tenants want to pay them. They like their landlord. They know that they want to stay in those houses. They want to pay their landlord because they've built such a great relationship. And I've seen right. how much value that has come right now because these people aren't going to say, oh, screw my landlord. I hate him. I'm paying him last if I can get away with it right now. Right. <laughs> so building those relationships with your tenants can really be key during something like this. And of course, there still will be the people that try and take advantage of it. But if you've done your tenant screening and you've got good people who, like Lucas Hall said, you want to find people who are willing to pay and can pay, which I thought that added tremendous value on last week's episode that you just don't want to make sure they have the income to pay, but that they want to pay too. That they want to pay. Correct. Yeah. I I was actually just thinking about that. Having the availability to pay and also the willing is two separate Mm -hmm. things. And I think willing comes with relationship and trust building with that tenant. And I'll, uh, I'll finish with this. I think cash reserves gives you options. 
I think cash reserves give you options in a in a in a in a tight situation. Yeah. And you would rather have options in a tight situation than having to like, oh my gosh, freak out and figure right. it out. Yeah. Well, let's move on to number two. So this can kind of go along with cash reserves because it can be an option for you, a second strategy per se, or second exit strategy. Securing HELOCs in long-term debt during this time. When you have a line of credit, even if you don't have one now, go and open one now. Use your primary residence, use an investment property, and have that available. You don't have to draw from it. A lot of times they're interest-only payments, so you're only paying if you take money off of that. But if you run out of your cash reserves, this can be you know, plan B to start supporting your business if you have that line of credit. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, long-term debt? Yeah, absolutely. So I... Uh, and let me touch base a little bit a lot about line of credit and then we'll, we'll for long, okay. long-term debt. I actually use my line of credit before I use my cash be- mm. during this time, okay. right? And I'll explain why. Now, in the past, yeah, I would use cash and line of credit together. But right now to get through this pandemic, and I hate even using that word, but it is, you know, I'm using my line of credit. Let's say I use $100 for something, then I'm going to pay a certain small percentage on that monthly uh, but that hundred dollars buys me 30, 60 days, right. you know, and that's sometimes what you need. And then my cash, I'm using a small portion of it to hold that loan until I can pay it back once we're past this pandemic. Then what I'll do is use some more, like, let's say I'm allocating uh, 16% of rents towards my line of credit. Maybe I'll up it to 25 once we get out of this pandemic to pay it off sooner and then just go back. But everyone has a different scenario on how, but actually right now I'm using my lines of credit and backing it up with my cash when in the past I would probably go 50-50 or something like that to not be yeah. over leveraged, right? So just trying to use it strategically. And another thing that I did, and this is really cool, I called my bank and I told them, hey, I know that I was paying uh, $500 a month towards the line of credit's debt, some of it towards principal, some of it towards interest, but now I'd like to break that in half while we're through this pandemic. Can I switch it down to 250 a month? And they're like, yeah, your payment's only 70 bucks off of your 30. I think I'm like at $30,000 on my line of credit used yeah. for a properties that I was renovating. And they were like, yeah, you actually only have like a $70, $80 that you have to pay. And I was like, okay, so let's go down from 500 to 250. So that's why I personally love wow. lines of credit because I have that flexibility of how much I want to pay during certain situations. I went on a tangent there, but you, no, you, you get I think what I'm that saying. was great information. That was really interesting to hear that you do your line of credit first before you get into your cash reserves and thinking about it. Like if I have to start breaking into my cash reserves, I think there would actually be a point where I would say, you know what, I'm stopping right here at my cash reserves, maintaining, you know, this minimum balance and I'm going to start using my line of credit. So that's really interesting. I, I'm glad you shared that with me. <laughs> Hopefully everyone else <laughs> yeah, found it valuable. Yeah, I feel like we, we, we both learn a lot all the time when yeah. we talk this. Well, I just want to add too real quick is how you just asked your bank. And it just, once again, it's one of those things I like to harp on is just you, you don't know until you ask and that That's they it. reduced asked. it for I you. Yeah. In. yeah. I was like, hey, what what my minimum payment is what? And she's like, oh, it's 70 bucks. And I was like, okay, well, I was doing an automatic payout of 500. Can I yep. break it in half during this pandemic? She's like, yep, you can do yep. what you need to do. Perfect. So you asked me about long-term debt. I want to touch base on that a little bit. For example, and I'll give a perfect example because I'm in this situation right 
now. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I actually have a five-year, like a small five-year mortgage on a rental on a property that I didn't want to lose. I got a you would you could consider it a bad loan because it's got a high interest rate, but I wanted yeah. this property and I was okay with losing a little bit of cash flow for the first three or four years because I knew that I was going to get into a 30-year mortgage. I was just waiting to see when. And I kind of calculated, I said, okay, we've been in a really good market for the past eight or nine years. Something's bound to happen in the next five. So I'm going to get this bad loan. I call it a bad loan because it takes out about 100 extra bucks of my cash flow to cover the extra interest payments. Mm -hmm. And now I'm refinancing it into a 30-year mortgage with a very low interest rate versus what I had because, you know, we're in this situation. And I always say, take advantage of the situation. Don't take advantage of the people. And what I mean by that is now I'm refinancing into a long-term debt with that property, it's only going to, my mortgage, I think shifts like maybe 60 bucks. My cash flow is great. I'm going to be in a 30 year mortgage at a fixed rate. It's clean. Right. It's simple. And I, I, I tell, I tell people, look at your debt right now and get it into a long-term low interest rate. Yeah. You really want to get away from any balloon payments. So That's a what balloon, it was. Yeah. A balloon payment is if you are making, you know, small payments for a year, two years, but then at the end of the two years, you owe the remaining balance. And a lot of times with not knowing what's going on or what's going to be coming up within the next few months, if you have something, a balloon payment coming up, we're going to owe this lump sum. I would recommend getting something lined up now so that you're prepared for when that balloon payment comes due. And that's always been one thing. I did do a balloon payment once. It was seller financing. I did interest-only payments for one year, and then I had that balloon payment where it gave me a year to fix up the property, and then I went and refinanced with a bank, and that worked out fine. We actually closed the day before my balloon payment uh, was due. Yeah. Cutting (laughs) it close there, Ashley. (laughs) Yeah, and actually, we set it up that way. It it wasn't nerve-wracking at all, as bad as it sounds, but... um, That sounds pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it worked out well, but right now, I'd recommend long-term debt for even if you have maybe five-year commercial loans, if those are maybe switching to a variable rate coming soon, I would get into a fixed rate. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Geez, thanks for breaking that down. I don't fully understand the way the balloons work. There's a lot of jargon there. I graduated like last in my high school class, so I don't even want to get into that. (laughs) But I was like, she kind of explained it to me. I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I wish I would have known a little more. But I knew right now that what I needed to do was get into long-term debt, you know, secured long-term 30-year um, that, so yeah, thanks for explaining that. Cause I wouldn't have been able to explain it. And and it's not like balloon payments are bad. It can definitely mm-hmm. be an advantage yep. to you, but you want to have those multiple strategies as to, okay, if I can't get bank financing for that balloon payment, then why don't we go ahead and, you know, do I have a, a private lender who would come and cover that balloon payment or hard money lender? Yeah, so I absolutely. think having those multiple options or maybe you have a line of credit you would draw instead or you have another house that you would, you know, take a mortgage on to cover this balloon payment. Ashley, will you explain what balloon payment is, um, you know, for everyone listening? What, 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 break down how that balloon works. Okay. Uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll do a, an example with numbers. So you're purchasing sure. a property for $100,000 and I'll use, you know, a seller financing example here. So Felipe sure. is selling me his property for $100,000. He wants $5,000 down at closing. And then I'm going to be paying interest payments to him for one year, say interest is 7% and 
I can't do that math off the top of my head, but let's just say I'm paying him $150 a month or whatever at 95,000. It's going to be more than that. But so (laughs) I'm paying him for one or each month, I'll pay him that $150. Then on month 12, he is going to want that $95,000 paid to him in one lump sum. So that's where I would have to plan ahead to get bank financing a couple months ahead or, you know, line up where I'm getting that 95000 from. And there are banks that do balloon payments, too, where the bank will, you know, maybe you're even paying principal and interest over a certain term. And then you'll make that lump sum payment at a future date. So instead of yeah. amortizing Perfect. like a conventional loan where it's, you know, fixed rate for 15, 20, 30 years and it's you're making principal payments and at the end of that term, end of the 15 years, you're, everything's paid off. This is where you're paying a little bit and then it's one big lump sum payment. And that's what we call a balloon payment. Nice. Everyone needs to <laughs> listen to that. I'm going to go back and listen to that because I think you explained it better than my banker did. She was just like, well, this is what we can do. You can't get it. I'm like, whoa, okay. We can get the property. We can cash flow. Okay, good. I'll have to yeah. figure that part out later. But it was on the back burner, but I didn't want to forget about it. So right. great explanation of how that balloon works and how you can use it to your advantage. Be careful, though. It is a two-edged sword. You got a certain term, one, two, five years, depending on what your bank offers you. The next topic that we had there, um, we're not on to number three yet, just the second part of securing HELOCs and long-term debt is make yourself bankable. And basically what I feel like saying make yourself bankable means making sure your taxes are in order, making sure your cash flow is in order. Right now during this time of quarantine, take advantage if you can, jump on your computer, you know, clean up your Excel sheets or clean up your QuickBooks or whatever the case may be that you're using to, you know, keep your properties in order, just make it very nice and clean. I have found out that banks work so much better when you have your your things organized and clean. And if they're, if, if they're asking for like, okay, can I see the rent roll? Right. You don't want to be like, oh my gosh. Okay. So this person pays this person. Like if you have a very clean cut sheet or, you know, you have a program that you use, you can just turn it in and banks love that. They love to see that you are responsible in your business and things like that. So uh, that's one of the ways that I've, I've made myself bankable. Ashley, what about you? Well, I think it's really important to call a local bank and see what they want from you. What what okay. does their application look for? They can email it to you. Take a look at it. Some of them even have it on their website and it will list what documentation they also want from you. You know, a copy of your driver's license, two or three years of tax returns, you know, four weeks of pay stubs. I, I think it's really important to make sure you have all those things in order. Like Felipe said, you want to be prepared. You want to be organized, have these things available. Maybe you just have a folder on your desktop, but you also want to make sure that, you know, your credit is in great shape too, that you're going to be yes. able to get a good interest rate and that they'll even want to lend to you. You know, if you don't have that grade of credit, take this time to clean that up, you know, work on getting your, your payments on time, work on getting any judgments paid off. I, credit is a, a very important tool. And if you want to secure that those home equity lines of credit and that long-term debt, your credit is going to be a huge factor into whether or not you're going to be able to be bankable. Yeah, that's right. In the middle of this refinance that I was telling you about a minute ago, getting into a long-term 30-year mortgage, I was very surprised in a way, where he said, we want to make sure that you have a good amount of cash reserves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I've never been asked how much like cash reserves I have in the bank. Like this is the first time I was asked that. 
Um, and, and I was able to show, okay, I, I, this is what I have for cash reserve. So you're able to use that cash reserve as, you know, in different ways, that same money, you know, the, the refinance is going to, I believe it's going to go through because we have a nice little, uh, cash reserve there and they're not worried about us missing payments and stuff like that. Yeah, that's definitely the more you can show the bank, you know, the assets you have and that you are an asset is very important. Yeah. I always like to add to that when you're going to a bank to get financing on a deal, maybe it's your refinancing or you want to purchase a deal is bring the deal to them. You know, do the bigger pockets calculator report and show them what the numbers look like, what your cash flow is going to be, how this property will pay the mortgage payment, what your rents are going to be. Give them as much information about the property as you can to make them feel secure and be like, wow, this looks great. And if this is your first time approaching a bank and you've done other deals before, bring put a little binder together with your portfolio, showing them the other deals you've done and how successful they have been. Bring pictures, show them, you know, a lot of information to kind of, because they're going to be, they look at your portfolio, they look at that you want to keep doing this. They're going to want to maintain you as a partner. I like what you said a minute ago. You said be an asset to the bank. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you worded it like that, but that's true. You be an asset to the bank, not a lot of, not a liability. And everyone loves an asset, right? So that actually goes into what we're our next topic is, which is, um, so the first one was cash reserves. The second one is securing HELOCs, long-term debts, be bankable. Our third rookie thing that you should be doing right now is be analyzing deals, right? Deal analysis, tight numbers, estimating repairs, practicing in, in your market and where you want to be is very crucial, especially right now. And I'll give you a perfect example. I'm used to buying properties in my area for about 200 to 220. That's that's just mm -hmm. typical for me within the $20,000 range because I know my market so well. I have a property right now under contract for 185. So I feel like the market's shifting a little, but it's because I know that area. My realtor sent me the listing and I didn't even have to fully look at the property. I said, I know what street that is. I know what houses are built on that street. I know it works for my portfolio. She said, the price is 199. I said, offer 185 and they took it, right? Mm -hmm. So deal analysis right now is very important because if you are bankable, if you have cash reserves, if you're securing long-term debt, you are able to continue to purchase properties. So that's a perfect example of just continuing to analyze deals because when one comes at you, you are able to make a move on it, pounce on it, if you will. Yeah. And I want to talk about the numbers. So you mentioned having tight numbers. You don't want to overestimate what the rents are. Don't say, you know what? I think I can get, you know, a thousand dollars a month really do your research and look at other listings. Go to Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Apartments.com and look at what other properties are listed for in your area. Start a little Excel sheet saying, okay, here's the addresses. These are what they're rented for. Go back and check every week. Are these places getting rented? Are they still being listed? And just kind of track it for a while and you'll start to see a pattern. Okay, this apartment that was for 600 for a two bedroom, that it rented immediately. It's no longer listed. Or you can even call around and call property management places and just, you know, say, hey, what what apartment does this apartment complex rent for and stuff like that and really lowball your rent income. Yeah, I want to, when I see a, a deal analysis, I want to see the lowest you can get on there as your number because going forward, if, if we have another recession, you might see rents drop. Or you might see them increase. You don't know, but you wouldn't you rather have that rent increase as just extra money, you know, extra cash flow that's not, you know, already worked into your numbers. And then I want to see insurance, property tax, you know, water, garbage fees, all of those fixed expenses. I want to see you overinflate those. 
you d- you don't know when your property taxes are going to be reassessed. So the city of Buffalo did a, an assessment this year and my property taxes went up. I've owned the building for three years and it's, it's still not as high as I had put in as my property tax number when I ran the deal because I always like to put that little buffer in knowing that going forward, my property taxes aren't going to kill my deal if they are going to go up. So I always like to overinflate as much as I can. But, you know, I don't over-exaggerate where you're never going to find <laughs> a deal. That's where you get into deal analysis paralysis. Don't yeah. go way overboard. One of the things that I do with finding tenants and making sure that I get or that I know my numbers regarding what tenants can pay or be willing to pay for for rooms and stuff is I see what other people are posting and I'm like, okay, how long did it take Joe Schmo to Mm -hmm. rent his room that he had up for $800? Oh, it looks like Billy Joe Bob put his for 600 and it went off the market in two days. Joe Schmo over here has got it for three months and still hasn't rented it. I'm going to probably get somewhere in the middle, take some really good pictures, a really good description, maybe even a video, and then I'm going to fall in the middle and I know I'm going to get taken up pretty quick. So I don't want to be at the top. I run my numbers at the bottom, but I rent in the middle. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I look at the top. I say, okay, that's that's a potential. I know that I can get this, so I'm going to rent right in the middle. And that's that. But, but like you said, I, I, I run my numbers based mm-hmm. on the bottom. Yeah, that that's a great advice because I'll, I'll do one as the exact numbers, like as of today, what, like if it's already rented or what I think I can get right now, and then what the exact property taxes are to the dollar, what the exact insurance would be. And then I run it like that. And then I run the inflated one, making sure that it still works that way. And that's kind of what I go off of the inflated one because property taxes can change. Insurance can change. You might get a a tenant that you know, washes their car every single day in the driveway and your water <laughs> bill goes up. Actually, I end up quick, when I go to properties, quick, I, I take off the hoses. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have a quick story oh, real quick. This one me, property I bought, it was maybe my fourth or fifth one. And when I did the inspection, I like wrote down like the faucet for the exterior of the house isn't even hooked up. Like we want that fixed. And the, the guy told me, he said, well, I do that so that they can't wash their car in the driveway. And I'm like, Great idea. Leave <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to do that. They would have to pay a plumber or somebody to come out. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. So actually deal analysis, yes, is very important, guys. Definitely be doing that. And that kind of filters into our our, our next topic. Uh, Ashley, do you want to bring that in for us? Sure. So we're going to talk about leases and going forward what your lease should have or shouldn't have. Because I... I bet a lot of you don't have uh, pandemics listed in your leases I don't. to what's I going don't. to happen. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Steve Rosenberg on the show, and he actually shared with me his emergency preparedness manual that his property management company uses. And I I thought that was very great. And they even had a section on it about pandemics and what the steps the property management company will take and what steps the residents should expect and what they should do during this time. And they, you know, they had it listed for if there was a war, you know, if there was a fire, if there was a flood, a hurricane, you know, it goes so on and so on. And you don't need anything, you know, large like that. And I'm sure you can go out and, you know, purchase samples or find uh, free samples probably online of an emergency preparedness manual and kind of tailor it yourself. But let's talk about uh, leases. Like what's one thing you think you're going to add to your leases going forward on renewals or any new tenants you get? Absolutely. So I love this topic because revising your lease right now is very important as, you know, whether you have a lease coming up, 
you know, one of your tenants lease is coming up and you have to renew the lease, you might want to add something about pandemics and how you're going to accept or not accept certain rents or deferred rents or whatever the case may be, but giving, you know, tenant maybe that option. And I would revise my lease now going forward every year. And what I would do is probably call my bank and say, Hey, what options do I have? If you know, we're in a pandemic or we're in a war because the banks surely are going to have something. And then you'll be able to kind of reflect that onto your lease and say, okay, if my tenant can't pay, I know the bank does this. So I'm going to kind of merge that because you're just the person in the middle, right? Rent mm-hmm. comes in, you take the cash flow, you pay off your mortgage. So I think for me personally is I'm going to have a little bit better communication with my bank, find out what options I can give to my tenants going forward if we ever have a pandemic again or a war or things that are possible that can happen. And you want to make sure you have those in the lease. Uh, I believe Brandon Turner from the OG show says that his lease is like 14 pages long. Like that's that when I first heard that, I was like, that's insane. Mine is like four. But I get that now. Like you have to think of every possible situation and really protect yourself. So when it comes to leases, I'm definitely going to be revising my lease and making sure that I have an open communication with my bank to what options that I can forego to my tenants. Yeah, I think the lease has definitely become more and more important for me than it did when I first started. When I first started out as a property manager, it was a two-page lease that was given to me when I started the job to start doing. And, you know, I think mine is maybe now up to seven pages, I think. And But I love to use it as the rule book, the law or the decision maker. Instead of being the bad guy, I say it says in the lease that this is what we would do or this is what happens or you're responsible for this per the lease. You know, we both agreed upon this when you moved in. So I really like to rely on my lease for for that kind of thing. And I think with the pandemic, thinking about other things that should be added in, I really don't know if there is such a thing as a a lease that's too long. (laughs) But I remember when I, it was, I probably worked for a property or worked as a property manager for a year. And the guy who worked for his daughter was in college and she moved into like an apartment complex that was student housing. And I, the lease was like 32 pages long. And I remember going through this and I mean, just every single little detail and they had to initial by each paragraph, you know, that they read it, acknowledged it, and and went through it all. I thought that was overkill at the time, but now <laughs> as I've had more and more experience, I, I kind of think that there's no such thing as a, a lease that's too long. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think revising your lease right now is very crucial, especially if some of, uh, you know, we're supposed to be quarantined to our home, if we're not supposed to be out socializing, take this time to revise your lease. Make sure that you're, that it's tip top, every uh, T is crossed and every I is dotted to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks. Add things about a pandemic, you know, from, because you're living it. So, you know, yeah. add those things to that lease. And I think that's, I think that's very important to make sure that you're revising your lease, having an emergency manual prepared and just, uh, you know, really, really, really tightening that belt of, oh, okay, you know, we're in the past. We're like, okay, I'm sure everyone can pay their rent. We're in a great market. We're going to be okay. You, you have a very skinny lease, right? I think right now the time is to really time to beef up your lease. Yeah. One thing that I would like to add going forward in a lease is talking about resources. So my property management company did a great job of blasting out emails to residents and this all started going on listing resources where if they're not going to be able to pay where they can get assistance from and i think that would be a great thing to put into the leases if there is a circumstance where you can't pay you know whether it's because of a pandemic or something else please visit these resources 
ahead of time or first before coming to us and try to do that. And I think that there is a lot of help and resources and grants or, you know, social security welfare, a lot of different programs that can help people pay rent. And I'd like to be more proactive on that of being able to provide people with these resources so that it benefits both of us going forward. And, you know, in the lease, I would like to put in there, if, you know, you campaign, you reach out to these resources, you know, I, th- I think that will make a, a better relationship between us, um, knowing that I, I want to help them as much as possible. But here, try these resources first. I agree. I think that builds a uh, tenant relationship, tenant rapport and things like that. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the bigger pocket 
Rockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Okay, so we've talked about cash reserves, we've talked about securing HELOCs, we've talked about deal analysis, and revising your lease. So moving on to the next part of our six things that rookies should be doing is partnerships. So if you've put these things into place, you probably expect your partner, if you're going to get into a partnership with somebody, to maybe have done the same amount of research or be at least educated in you know what, what you want to do and bring to the table. So when it comes to partnerships, mindsets, make sure that they're bankable, make sure that their strategies align with you in the future. Who do you want to partner with? Be looking at what you want to partner with and who's doing something at this time. So there's a lot there. So let's break that down. One of the things that I was telling Ashley prior to the show was, hey, if I'm looking for a partner, I'm looking at what they're doing right now and how they are reacting during this time. Are they running around pandemic really just freaking them out? They're not, they don't know what to do with their rents. You know, they have a lot going on and they're not prepared. It's probably someone that I'm not going to want to partner with in the future. So right now, if you have an idea that, oh, I want to partner with someone this year and buying another rental property, or I'm looking at this potential person, you know, really be scouting that person and seeing how they're reacting during this time. Are they doing what me and Ashley are saying here? You know, are they revising their leases, getting bankable, you know? continuing the good fight of renting, uh, buying buying and hold properties? Are they doing things that align with what you want for your goals? And really just get, are they in that right mindset to, you know, weather this storm and get, you know, great advances on the other side? And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm looking at people that I potentially want to partner with and seeing what they're doing during this time, which is going to tell me what they're going to do in the future if this happens again, if we're in partnerships together. Since, like, if I would have known this pandemic was going to happen, and if sure. I would have known Felipe was going to quarantine himself in Cocoa Beach or not Co- Daytona Beach, right? Day- Daytona. Daytona Beach, Florida, and I was going to be stuck here where it's currently snowing today, I would have said no, <laughs> knowing that last week <laughs> I had to watch his beach view of the ocean, the beach from doing the podcast. And today I have it's snowing in my window. I've said no, I don't want to partner with him on this podcast. <laughs> Ashley doesn't want to partner with me anymore. I have this beautiful tan out here from yeah. Daytona, Florida. I'm I just glowing keep getting wider and <laughs> But it all no, serious. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I want to still laughing. I know. I want to talk about how you talked about like finding the partner and how they handle what's going on right now. How are they handling this situation? And I think it'll be very important to to watch that, to see if they're going to be a good partner going forward. 
I want to make sure that my partners are saving their cash reserves still. They're, they're not freaking out. They're remaining <laughs> calm and cool in that they're in it for the long term. They're not texting me to say, hey, we should sell right now before the market drops. Like I'm looking for people who are in this for the long term. And right now is a great time to study those potential partners or even your current partners if you're going to continue to do deals with them. How are they handling this thing someone thought wasn't going to happen? I mean, who would have expected a a year ago that we would be worried about collecting rent and be quarantined in our homes? And, you know, how is your partner making use of this time? Or maybe they're more busy and don't have the time to grow your empire or whatever (laughs) during this time. But it's definitely something to keep an eye out if you are looking to partner with someone is how they're handling it it now. I agree a hundred percent. Finding the right partner is crucial. Yeah. And not even a, a, like your business partner, but also how is your accountant or your CPA handling this? How is your attorney handling this? How is your property management company handling this? How is the bank handling this? Are you trying to get an SBA loan? Is your bank helping you, you know, through that process? I did one for my dad on Monday and he uses a bank that I've never banked with. And it was the worst process ever. And I'm like, you need to switch banks, go to one of my banks. And yeah, that's I, so true. I, think I didn't this, think about your partnerships with those. Yeah. So those are all pe- people that are part of your partnerships. What's that? The book, it's called something about how the, you know, all of these connections, the as an entrepreneur, these are your key people. I think it's called something like that. Keep, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's how, you know, your accountant, your lawyer, all these people really help you grow your business and they are a part of your partnership. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Partnerships are crucial. And I didn't even think about reassessing my bank, my realtor, my, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone that's in my bubble that helps me grow. You know, who is your team? We should have named this team players, not just partnerships. But yeah, that's true. Like we need to, we need to, to be evaluating everyone and how they are reacting to this in a positive or negative way. You know, are they out there still on the grind or are they saying, nope, I'm not going to send you any more deals. I have this to worry about. I've, you know, so yeah, that's, that's perfect. I love that. Double check everyone in your team, make sure that everyone's positively affecting you and then, you know, reevaluating if we need to make some changes on the other side. And that's okay. I do it with contractors all the time. So no need to not look at the rest of my team as well. You want to introduce the last one there, Ashley? Mindset. So this is something Felipe and I both love and like to focus on is your mindset. I think it plays a very important role in being a successful investor, especially if you want to be a a long-term buy and hold investor. You can't panic or freak out or, you know, you really have to have your mindset in a good place to handle these things, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. That's exactly right. Mindset is crucial during this time. And one of the things that I was actually telling my mother-in-law, because that's who we're quarantined with out here in Daytona, I was telling her, I was like, I feel like a lot of times people get emotionally attached to their money, which makes them make emotional decisions with their money. Like during this time, they're they're like, oh, I got to hoard all this cash and I don't want to invest any of it. And I'll just wait till the other side to start investing again, which is kind of the opposite of what uh, I think people should be doing. I think right now I would be still looking for analyzing deals, making sure the numbers work and still investing that money, not being emotionally attached to my money, but more of a mindset where, okay, this money has to get deployed to make me more cash flow. 
and and not being scared that the market's dropping. So we all talked about, right? Oh, mm -hmm. once the market drops, I can't wait to buy more rental properties. This is a perfect time for something like that, for you to look at the market, analyze a property, make sure that the numbers work, and then pull the trigger. It's it's that pull the trigger on buying a property that you know is going to work if you've ran your numbers correctly. And Bigger Pockets has great calculators for this, right? Uh, deal analysis, burrs, flips. There's great on Bigger Pockets. You can see all those calculators and you can use them. Um, and I think if you have the pro membership, you can actually, there's there's just a lot more that opens up to you. Yeah, it's but, unlimited. You can use it unlimited times. Uh, you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash calc. And if you don't have a pro membership, you can do at least run five deals for free on the calculator nice. reports. Yeah. Yeah. So using that, you know, to to take the emotion out of it and just seeing the numbers, you have to just be able to see the numbers, take your emotion out of it. And my youth pastor when I was young would always tell me, Felipe, numbers don't lie. They tell a story. And, that, mm -hmm. and that's it. If you can if you can get, you know, yourself away from the emotional attachment of your money is attached to this, that, the other, just say, what do the numbers tell me? And I go from there. Right. And that's the reason you have cash reserves too, is so that if something like this happens, that's what they're there for. And you can't be afraid to use your cash reserves because th that's what they're there for. They're that safety net. You should be saving them for rainy days <laughs> like this. Right. Exactly. This is the rainy day. Right. And if you, and don't get yourself defeated if you have to go into those cash reserves or you, if you have to tap into that line of credit, but make sure you're doing everything you can to help your tenants find those resources to pay. This is still a business. And as much as we want to help them, you you still have to prioritize your family too. I mean, my family relies on the rental income. Your family relies on the rental income. And you have to have that mindset where you don't want to be, you know, a dictator is to pay the rent now or I'm knocking on the door. But, and you also don't want to be like, yo, it's okay. Just don't pay me for six months either because then your business is going to fail. You have, you have to find that, that happy medium. That's exactly right. So mindset, super crucial. And the last thing I'll say about mindset, and I know Ashley's going to love this as well, is get involved in an REI meeting, get involved in mm -hmm. Facebook groups. Definitely. I mean, real estate rookie on Facebook group, follow us there. And let me say something about real estate rookie real quick. Guys, when you are requesting to be on there, make sure that you are agreeing to the terms because a lot of people are requesting to be on there and they don't hit that. They agree to the terms of, of, of the real estate rookie. So make sure that you are saying, yes, you agree to the terms or we cannot put you on there. I think we've denied four or five people because of that. So go back, make sure that you agree to the terms and conditions of the Facebook group. We want to make sure that everyone's safe and that you know, there's not a bunch of salesy, pitchy stuff out there. We really want a community and a tribe of rookies that are, are bouncing ideas off of each other. And me and Ashley are on there all the time. So and I think that's really that. growing too. I, I We've had so many people be interactive in there and yeah. such great, I mean, I, things are posted and there's like immediately people are commenting, giving advice or asking, yes. you know, a, a follow-up question. I, I'm loving all of the interaction that everyone has on there. So if you haven't joined yet, just search Real Estate Rookie on Facebook and become a part of it. And we've actually been doing some of our shows live on Facebook too on the Bigger Pockets page. So make sure you guys follow that page as well. But let's talk more about meetups and even yes. mastermind groups because that goes along with mindset. And I even wanted to talk about that today is that can be something really important for uh, rookies to be involved with right now. Yeah, absolutely. The importance of having your tribe is crucial because mm -hmm. during these times is when you're going to rely on that. I don't know about you guys, but me personally, I don't have a lot of friends in real estate. 
my best one of my best friends is a stay-at-home dad and and i think that's awesome don't get me wrong but i just don't have other people to lean on when it comes to real estate investing you mean so in, like in real life like you have all your yeah, online yeah, yeah. Sorry. friends yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i have all my online friends yeah i bounce ideas off of them Enjoy all the time but in real so life you can be felipe's friend <laughs> be my friend please i don't have friends no my friends are not invested in real estate and i'm okay with that i love them to death but they i just can't tell them hey can you you know what do you think about this roi on this property they'd be like dude what is roi like they don't care and that's okay because i've built my relationships with friends and family based on relationships not based on money and stuff but what I'm trying to say is you still got to have that tribe to back you up. So find those people in your community, in your city, uh, you know, find those people that are going to hold you accountable to your goals and then that you're able to bounce ideas off of as well. I feel like a lot of times people come and tell me like, dude, I found some of my best deals at REI meetings and at, or at my tribes. Yeah. And now uh, meetups are all virtual right now because you can't meet in person. So you can join a, a mastermind group. There's tons of paid and free ones that they're virtual all the time. Or maybe you even have a, a local mastermind group. But th let's talk about the difference between a mastermind and the, the difference between a meetup. So a meetup is sure. usually free or a small fee and you go when you can and it's just anybody can come to that. Where, yep. and, you know, maybe there's a different topic you discuss or it's just a social happy hour and you just connect with people during that. Maybe the one yep. that I go to in Buffalo, um, there's a 15 minutes in the, the beginning where the guy that's leading it talks a little bit and then there's a guest speaker and then you break out and just connect with people the rest of the time. And then a mastermind group, that's more focused on what your current goal is. Right. That's exactly right. So when you have a mastermind, it's more of a directed like, okay, I'm Felipe. This is my goal. Can you guys help me keep me accountable to this? Mm -hmm. And if you're paying for that, you know, you have someone that's going to be grinding you, that's going to be helping you, that's going to be pushing you. And you, it's, it's, it's more of like, if you go to the gym, let me use this example. If you go to the gym, the open gym is social. Everyone can go. It's great. That's an REI meeting. You see power lifters, you see CrossFit, you see swimmers, you see it all, Right. But you're like, dude, I really want to get my bench press level up. I really want to get this massive, just big numbers on the bench press. You hire a coach to get you past that peak. Let's say that you're at a peak, right? So that's where that's where that's how I use the example as a mastermind. A mastermind is like a coach that's directly correlated to your goal. My goal is 10 properties by the end of the year. I want to join a mastermind that's going to make me do that. So I think those are the difference between REIs and mastermind. I'm loving all your analogies lately. <laughs> Because that is perfect. That perfectly explains explains it. We're going to be more focused. So my point of talking about all this is if you are not involved in a meetup or a mastermind and you want to be in one of them, start your research now and finding one in your area. And now is the time to start looking because, you know, for a meetup, there might be some virtual ones, but you're not going to be missing the, the in-person ones and you can take your time to find the right fit for you or even a mastermind group. And then even a mentor, um, if you want a mentor, that can even be more one-on-one. -on -one. If you if you would prefer that than a large social setting, find a mentor, you know, look, search people on Facebook, Instagram, social media, you know, I'm there's probably people that would do it for free. And then there there's some pay people too, but I've never heard, at least in my experience, had anyone tell me that it wasn't worth paying for a mentor. What about you? Yeah, Have you? Absolutely. I mean, there's the guru uh, people out there, but there's yeah, there's the all the gurus. There's the pay me a million dollars and I'll teach you how to the buy one, one on ones. I've, yeah, the one on ones. I've <laughs> never heard of anyone saying that there there's no value in that.
Yeah. And then tons of people that I know that are legit in the real estate talk about adding value to like someone bringing value to them and then they'll be able to reciprocate. Right. Mm -hmm. I get tons of messages, you know, on my DM that it's like this like 20 paragraph thing of like how they want to add value to me. And I'm like, I'm going to read none of that. (laughs) So when you're looking for a mentor or you want to just add quick value to them, bring something to the table. And then, you know, that's I feel like that's going to be the quickest way. build a on. You know what? Even past pay. Build an honest relationship with who you want to mentor from. Be genuine. That's going to get you a lot farther than, hey, here's a million dollars. Can you mentor? Well, a million right. dollars. Yeah, maybe I would that, do it, but... that is very true. And Be I, genuine. The person that mentors me, he said to me, I believe in what goes around comes around. That if I help you that in some way, I'm going to be helped in another way. So right I now I, I'm managing a social media account. <laughs> oh, God. You love social media. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I know who it is. I won't yeah. name him, but I know who it is. And I think I think that's absolutely right. He's a big player in the field, and I'm really surprised at his numbers. But they're growing. Yeah, you so better like, I his, see what you're you better like his, uh, his post. <laughs> no worries. All right, so let's, uh, let's review these six, and then we're going to move on to the next portion of the show. We have number one, cash reserves, securing HELOCs, deal analysis, revised lease for your future and now, partnerships and mindset. Those are the six things that we are even doing right now as rookies and every single one of you should be looking into minimum those six things during this time. Okay, let's move on to the next topic we have today. Felipe and I had a lot of fun getting to write our own show today. So we're going to talk about what we're doing right now, what current deals do we have going on and if they've been affected at all. So why don't you talk to me first about, I saw it posted on Instagram about uh, a deal that you have under contract. Yeah, absolutely. So I talked um, a little bit about earlier, I talked about the deal that I'm in and that all comes from these six things, right? I have cash reserves. I secured long-term debt. I'm still analyzing deals, good partnerships and good mindset. So I found this property for $199.9 and I was like, oh, okay, I'm used to paying $220 for that. The market's maybe shifting a little. I put in a crazy low ball offer of $185, right? And that's unheard of 30 days ago, right? I would have I would have been paying $5,000, $10,000 more but the, the market's shifting. So I offered $15,000 less or whatever that number looks like. But I offered mm-hmm. 185 and I got the deal. Now, I actually want to buy it for 175 So what I'm going to do from here is I'm going to use my $300 inspection. What my inspector does is he gives me a full report. And past that, he actually now has a system in place where a third-party company will tell him exactly how much they will charge to fix every single wow. thing on that report. Yeah. Do so you want to share that? that? Can you share that company? I actually don't know what it's called, but okay. I'll tell you what, I'll get it to, yeah, I'll get it out. to you guys and I'll post it on my Instagram if I can, if I can't get it to the show notes, but I don't remember what it's called, but it's just a third party company yeah. that will literally dollar for dollar, exactly how much they will charge to fix it. And I use that as leverage. Mm-hmm. Typically that number comes like 30, 40 grand. And I'm like, Hey guys, if you give me half of that off the purchase price and some towards closing, we'll continue with this deal. If not, yeah. I'm pulling out. And then I get it down to the lowest possible pro, uh, you know, number that I can and you know, moving forward with the deal. And then as if you follow me on Instagram or YouTube, um, you know that on there, that's, the, that's my number that I use for the rehab, the equity in the property that I get. Let's say it's 20 grand. I typically like to stay within that 20 grand 
to you know fix my property. So stay tuned, guys. The inspection is Monday, and I'll let you guys know how that goes. And you what can about you, Ashley? Follow Felipe at Felipe Mejia R E I to stay up to date on this deal. <laughs> you always say it's so funny, <laughs> but yes, that's how you follow me on Instagram. So right now I don't. I well, actually, I do have one deal under contract. My husband is buying another farm, and it has a hundred acres with a barn, and then manufactured home, and then two single family houses on it. And wow. we actually found out it's going to have to be a short sale. So this will be our first time doing a short sale. Luckily, we received our commitment letter from the bank right when like this pandemic kind of hit the U.S. So nothing was crazy with the SBA loans or anything like that yet. So everything is rolling along. Um, We've ordered the appraisal, everything like that. So that deal has not been affected by that yet. And then the next thing I'm working on- What about your rehab? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say now. So I have my rehab going on for a commercial building I purchased. I started the rehab in December we've been rehabbing one retail unit and then completely gutted and started one bedroom apartment that we're working on. And right uh, now I have uh, my partner, he's uh, tiling the bathroom floor right now. So (laughs) I'm getting excited that it's like getting closer and closer to being done. And actually it's kind of worked in my favor because he right now would be doing landscaping. He has a landscaping company and he cannot do that because in New York state, you know, it's a essential services only. So landscaping people's yards is not. And so he's had a lot of time to work on the rehab. Putting him to work. But that's the crucial of a partnership, right? Right. You're doing this and he's out there working and he's not like, hey, Ashley, you don't need to be doing that. You need to be helping me here work. Like that's the importance of partnerships that he's out there working. He's letting you do your thing because you're also out there working a lot. So. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you and off, I, but I love And that. I did deliver him a coffee and breakfast this morning, too, because I, I did feel bad that I wasn't there to help this morning. So. <laughs> You're going to do all this tile work. <laughs> yeah. I'll bring you some coffee. Yeah. That's hilarious. But I, I have been thinking about if our... So I'm kind of doing this as a burst strategy. So I purchased it. I'm rehabbing. Then I'm going to rent it out. And then I'm going to go refinance it and then yeah. repeat it for another property. But I am curious Perfect. as to if this will affect affect my refinance. As of right now, we're planning to refinance hopefully in July. Mm -hmm. Once we have everything rented and we still have one more unit, uh, we need to renovate in there. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting to see. As of right now, we have cash into the deal only. So it's it's not like we have a a mortgage payment we have to worry about, but we're still paying holding costs such as, you know, insurance, property taxes on it. And actually our insurance is pretty high on it just because we are doing the rehab. So I would like to to switch over to a more long-term insurance policy um, once we do finish up the rehab. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And then Ashley, go ahead and shout out your Instagram because I want to tell people (laughs) about- You don't know it uh, that you can't shout it out for me? Well, from rentals- Yeah. Of course. I wanted you to say it though. Okay. Anyways, go follow go follow Ashley on Wealth from Rentals on Instagram, guys. She posts great videos on how she does her rehabs. And I think it's really crucial because you get ideas on, oh, maybe I could do that, you know, or do this, or maybe use your kids for labor. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Ashley does that. I'm just saying. (laughs) I love when your kids come in with like a box or something and they're like looking around and you're in there like grinding it out and your your kids are walking in like what's I love that. They're gonna really appreciate that when they get I can't wait to uh, use my son for free. Labor as well. (laughs) Let's move on to our segment called the Real Estate Rookie Request Line. So, this is where you guys can call in and leave us a voicemail with your question. 
Today we have actually two voicemails、uh, for Felipe and I to answer. So you can call in at 1-888-5 Rookie and leave us a voicemail at any time, and we could play yours on a show. Hi, Ashley, Felipe.、Uh, this is Josh from North Jersey. Call with a question about a quadplex that my wife and I are looking at. We're going to be first time home buyers and wanted to use that extra leverage that you get with being a first time home buyer to try and get into a large quadplex. But in North Jersey here, it's over a million dollars. And conventional financing might not be the easiest thing to do. How would you guys recommend going about trying to get seller financing on this kind of a deal? Thanks. To answer Josh, one of the first things that I would do is I'd make sure I run my numbers, right? I would make sure that I have the numbers down tight conservatively. And if the numbers work with saying, hey, I'm going to move into one side, you know, I'm going to be able to rent the others for cash flow, I don't see why a bank wouldn't finance it. And if you have to get seller financing from whoever is, is selling that property, you know, just make sure that you have a large down payment down or find out what the seller really wants. Sometimes the seller doesn't necessarily want money. I have found in the past that if I find out what the seller really wants and needs and I can meet that need, then we can come to an agreement. I would tell Josh, don't go in just assuming that the seller wants money. If it's maybe an older gentleman or an older couple or whatever the case may be, and they're like, well, you know what? I still want the cash flow, but I just don't want the headache anymore. You know what? What if I can match the cash flow every single month, but you don't have the, prop, the property anymore? So I'll give you the same amount of cash flow and you don't have to worry about the tenants. I'll take over for that. Or, you know, what if they just want a large lump sum to get their kids through college? Figure out a way to do that. So find out what the seller really wants because it's not always money. Build that relationship with that person if you have to do seller financing. Find out what they need. Try to meet that need. That's what I would tell Josh. Yeah. And I think Josh, maybe he's referring to that, you know, it's, since it's over a million dollars, that it's a huge down payment if you're going the conventional way, where maybe seller financing, you, that down payment would not be as big upfront. So it would be easier to get into the deal. And my recommendation would be to write it out, write out your offer, lay out the numbers. When I did seller financing、uh, for a guy, I, Asked for it. He didn't offer it at first. And I wrote down, like, this is the interest rate I would、um, pay. And this is what my monthly payment would be to you. And this is how much interest you would make. And then I added that interest to the purchase price and said, look, it, you're actually going to be making this much off of me. Even though I'm only offering this purchase price, you're still going to be getting this much interest off of it. And I would also、um, supply him with some、uh, financials about you, you know, whether it's your tax return or your credit report,、um, you know, maybe credit references from banks or, you know,、uh, maybe other people have loaned you money or something like that. Make sure he can see that you're, you are going to pay and that you're a reliable person because that can be scary for someone who is doing seller financing if they don't know you and that. How are they going to judge if you can pay or not? And give them that information up front, showing them that you don't want to hide anything about yourself and that you are credible and you will pay. So I think the more information you give them, the, the better chances you will have of, of getting that seller financing. You give Bay way better answers than I do. I'm even listening, <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> okay. Take the next one, Ashley. I'm not going to argue there. With you. <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so the next question we have is Hi, my name's Brenna Crow. I'm currently living in Boston, Massachusetts. 
And my question is, when using the BRRRR strategy, what's the difference with using traditional bank lending versus hard money, especially how it affects your cash flow after refinancing? I'm currently working on my first BRRRR deal, and it's out of state in Virginia. So aside from being super nervous, I'm a little confused on how using hard money and traditional lending differ. If we refinance, is it going to lower the cash flow? We're going to be putting 25% down and have the property under agreement for 140000 I think the renovations are going to be about 30000 and then afterwards it'll probably be worth around 210 to 220. On the low end, the rents for both units combined would be about 1750. Thank you guys. Okay, so the biggest difference between bank lending and hard money is hard money is going to have a higher interest rate and it's going to come from a private company or someone with a ton of money, you know, or something like that. Bank lending is going to have probably better interest rates, but it's going to be harder to get. I traditionally still go for bank lending. I try to keep myself bankable. I try to not be over leveraged. And I try because it's the it's the least amount or it's the lowest interest rate. So it secures my cash flow to be as high as possible when getting a bank loan. Hard money is typically also on shorter terms. You have to pay that money back quicker, four, five, six years, maybe one year. You never, it just depends on how you set it up. So it's very, very, very important that you read the rules of your hard money versus your bank lending and things like that. But one of the things that I would want to tell uh, Miss Brenna as well is uh, make sure that you know how much rents are. Make sure that you know how much the ARV is going to be. Make sure you know how much the renovations are going to cost. Please, please, please do not assume anything. Don't assume rents are going to be this much. Don't assume the renovation is going to cost as much. Do your due diligence. Have a contractor go through and look at it and give you a hard money within, you know, a, you know, within a couple hundred bucks of how much this should cost. Find out what rents are in that area and what is the minimum you're going to be able to rent that property for and run your numbers based on that. And and lastly, and and one of the most important, if you're going to burr the deal. Talk to the bank or a couple banks that are going to offer you the refinance on that property. Tell them what you're going to do. Show them the numbers that you can find that on bigger pockets on their calculator there. Run the numbers, take it to the bank and say, hey, can we do a refi on this? And you can even, uh, something that I have found out recently is you can actually start that process and pause it. What I mean by that is you can actually start the refinance application and finish it once the property is done because they want to see your financials, they want to see your license, they want to see your taxes, they want to see all these things and just say, okay, I want to start the application. You can freeze the application and when you're done with the refinance, then you continue it. And that's something that I learned recently with my refi. Like I sent in all my information and now I'm able to refinance the property. So you have to have all that in place and make sure that you're not guessing on any of your numbers. Please, please, please don't guess. Make sure that you have solid numbers so you don't have hiccup or a surprise when you're going to refinance that property. That's what I would tell Ms. Brenna. Yeah, that was really great, Felipe. Great job explaining that. I Let's talk about now, if she does refinance, is it going to lower the cash flow? So right now, your mortgage is lower than when you go to refinance, unless you refinance for the same amount. So it really depends how much money are you going to take back out of the deal when you go and refinance, because your mortgage payment could possibly be higher if you're taking more money out. It also depends on the terms of the loan, too. I mean, maybe your first loan is only a 15-year amortization, and this new loan would be 30-year amortization, which might make the payments a lot closer to what the first 
uh, loan amount was. So there are a bunch of different variables, but it just looking at it, I would say generally, yes, your payment will go up, which would affect your cash flow. If you are going to take more money out of the deal, if you're going to try to take as much money out as you can, then your your monthly mortgage payment is going to go up and that would reduce your cash flow. So you need to look at how much money do you want to leave into the deal and then your cash flow will be higher and how much money do you want to take out and your your cash flow will be lower. So she's still going to have some money in the deal. Yeah, so she would not get uh, all of the money back. So I would caution if she is going to use a hard money lender, uh, how much exactly is she going to be borrowing from them? Right. So I would, I would like, this is a perfect example of tightening up your numbers and figuring out exactly how much the rehab is going to be. Because if you think you're only going to be able to get, you know, that percent back, it's 17. That's not your full 30 back. Are you okay with that? You're not always going to get all your money out. And I'm okay with that, leaving Mm -hmm. some money in the deal. But can you live without that money is the is the question, right? Can you continue on with having a little bit of money in your deal? And then she also asks when she does the refinance if this is going to affect her cash flow. So the rents will be it says about seventeen fifty. Seventeen fifty. If she did a loan amount at one hundred fifty seven thousand, say five percent interest, amortized over thirty years, that's about like a hundred or eight hundred and forty dollars a month would be her mortgage payment, just principal and interest, not insurance and property taxes. Not insurance. Yeah. So, so it, she has to look at her property taxes and insurance as well to figure out what her cash flow is going to. Will it be affected? Yes. It's up to you whether it be negatively or positively affected based on the research that you do of how much your insurance is going to be and how much your taxes. Yeah, and her first loan was only 105. So that that mortgage payment would definitely be a lot lower. So yes, when you refinance for a larger amount, the your mortgage payment will uh be higher. Ooh, good job, Ashley. You got put on the spot there. Crushed it. <laughs> Okay, so let's kind of wrap it up going back over our six things rookies should be doing right now. So first we have uh, cash reserves. Two, securing HELOCs, long-term debt. Make sure you are bankable. Um, Deal analysis. Tighten those numbers up. Practice, practice, practice doing that deal analysis. Do your market research. You know, what kind of rents are coming in? Or even if you're a flipper, what... You know, what are the comparable sales in your neighborhood? Track it over the coming weeks. Is it changing? And then uh, number four is uh, revise your lease if necessary. If you think there are things that this pandemic affected that weren't in your lease, go ahead and put them in for any uh, future uh, tenants you have or for lease renewals. Then number five, we have partnerships. You know, evaluate your partnerships, not only with your business partners, but with your accountant, your attorney, you know, uh, your property management company, your contractors. How how is everyone handling uh, what's going on? And then number six is mindset. Set yourself up for success. There's so many great resources online of how to to get into the right mindset to be a successful real estate investor. You know, if if you guys want, we can even do some book recommendations too. Do you, at the top of your head, do you know a book you can recommend right now to get yourself into a good mindset, Felipe? A hundred percent. Tax-Free Wealth, the second edition. Um, the Burr Strategy book at Bigger Pockets is really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Those are all great books. And the one I would add that I'm reading right now is The Daily Stoic, talking about, uh, you know, a, a great impact on uh, m- mindset. I, I like the way it makes you think a little differently. Okay. And uh, anything else you want to add today to today's show, Felipe? 
No, I think those were great. And I'm glad people are listening to the show. Definitely, you know, rewind this, listen to those six again individually, and then take a little bit of notes. I know that I'm actually going to go back and listen to what you said. You know, not that I'm like creeping to see if you're a potential partner, but I want to see what you're doing during this time. So, (laughs) but yeah, uh, no, I think that was great. Okay. Well, thank you everyone. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page, The Real Estate Rookie. I am Ashley Kerr and you can find me at Wealth From Rentals. And my co-host is the Gap model, (laughs) Mr. Felipe Mejia. (laughs) And you can find him on Instagram at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. And you can shop his looks on his Instagram. Oh my gosh. No, you can't. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye, Ashley. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.